A great story always begins with the front page. What's up, y'all? And welcome back to another episode of The Front Pages, where we discuss relevant sports news and nothing but facts. If you're new here, welcome returning. Y'all know the deal. You know the drill. Let's get into episode 48. So, of course, today we will be talking about NBA playoffs. That is what's hot right now. We also will be talking about track and field. Haven't did that in a while. NCAA president, Serena Williams, a number of things. But before we do get into all of that, make sure you're following the front pages on Instagram because, look, your girl just finished another semester of grad school and we are one semester closer to getting that master's degree. So right now, I got a little time on my hands to be creative, to really dish out some new fresh content and i'm really excited to get back to that because i just feel like i've been busy your girl been ripping and running doing everything being a jack of all trades you know yada 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 um but having this free time i just feel so good i don't feel pressured i don't feel constrained to having to get things done by this certain time yada yada so yeah Y'all start seeing this new content come out. Y'all might even get two episodes in a week. Okay, (laughs) let me not push it. But (laughs) I'm just so excited for today's episode because I really feel like these are great topics. (laughs) So yeah, let's get right into it. Starting with the NCAA president has stepped down. That is right, Mark Emmert. He has stepped down, which technically his quitting is not effective until June, 2023, or if his replacement is found sooner. But I just find this very, very interesting that as soon as NIL becomes available and booming, you step down from your position. And there's a lot to speculate when it comes to people in such high powers stepping down in like on their own, you know? So I don't know. He's been in that position for 12 years, so that's definitely hard to give up. And it's a very unique position. I don't believe this is a position that you will find on LinkedIn or um, ZipRecruiter or whatever you use to apply to jobs. I doubt you will ever see NCAA president apply today. Like, I highly doubt that. So this is a a very particular job. And to see him give that up, I mean... You can go and do numbers of things after holding a position of such caliber, but I don't know. I just think it's really interesting. And who would want this position? Currently at the state of NCAA, you know, with NIL, it's caused just a lot of back and forthness of now, should the athletes be considered employees of the um, school? And I think also those or whoever does fulfill this role, they're going to have to deal with a lot of that. A lot of that conversation has to be had. Um, antitrust lawsuits. It's just going to be a lot. So whoever does obtain this role, they're going to have a lot on their plate before they even fulfill this role. And it's it sucks because it's kind of like you're setting this person up for a disadvantage. But I think with the right person, you can really build a unique student-athlete model that allows um, the athletes to benefit and also 
the universities and the institutions, but everybody's selfish. Everybody wants the money to themselves and who knows how that will work out. That's why I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that. Who knows what will happen? So I'll keep y'all up to date. If I hear anything about fulfillment of this role, I mean, it sure ain't going to be me. Okay. Let's just, it's not me. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I'll just keep y'all up to date on that one. So moving right along, let's talk track and field. So earlier last week, Carl Lewis, if you don't know, legendary staple of the track and field community, um, is well-decorated athlete. I can go on and on to describe um, this man. Okay. But Carl Lewis, he stated that long jump was the hardest event in the entire sport of track and field. Now, a lot of you don't know, I went to the University of Houston and I actually was a jumper myself, coached by Carl Lewis and Leroy Burrell. So my opinion may be a bit biased, but I found it interesting that he made this bold statement on Twitter because everyone always thinks their event is the hardest event. And I really love that he did this because it also shed light on how important field events are in relations to running events. Like I know a lot of people when they attend track meets, they're automatically drawn to the relays, the fast events, unless they really know someone who is in the other events, some of the longer distances, the field events, the throws, the jumps. People a lot of times are there for the relays. Let's just be completely honest guys. Okay. But me being a jumper and me always being a jumper, I have always been an advocate for field events and speaking of that nature, but back to the tweet. Cause I'm going on a tangent. So he made this tweet and everybody just going crazy posting on this story. Like, no, my event is so much harder than this. You don't know. And I'm like, who we, where did you start up? But y'all know me. <laughs> nerdy little page, I did a little bit of some research and I found that the long jump world record has only been broken two times in 54 years. In those two years, 1968 and 1991. It is currently 2022. A lot of records in other events have been broken. So this is a great argument for those in long jump, those who are rooting for long jump in this argument. Also, the present outdoor record for long jump is 31 years old. The present indoor record is 41 years old. There's not many records that can withstand this many years. And you can look at the record books for all you want. I thought about breaking it down event by event, but then it just gets redundant because Overall, it will show that long jump actually has one of the longest world records that have not been broken in recent years. Now, Carl didn't just make this statement and leave it at that. He also gave some of his debates. And here are some of his debates. In long jump, you are literally in the air for one complete second. There is so much that goes into that one Second, so many hand motions, leg swings, hip thrusts. There's so much that goes into the actual jump of long jump. 
You know, a lot of people, they kind of just see, oh, you're running and you're jumping off of a board. Well, also, too, in the defense, this board is eight eight inches. <laughs> I wear a size nine in shoes. <laughs> My foot is bigger than the board. Like, come on. He also shared in his defense that you have to leave the board at a certain angle to project your body. It's not just, oh, let me run as fast as I can possibly. And when I get to the board, just jump. <laughs> Any jumper that hears that will literally laugh at you because that may look like what we're doing, but we are not doing that. You're literally accelerating and projecting your body to go a distance. You're not jumping for height, you're jumping for distance. So there's a difference. You have to have all the technical aspects. So I think in his defense, he was more so just sharing the technical aspect of long jump and how difficult the technique is behind long jump you know we make it look so seamless seamlessly done but that's because we got the technique down pack and it takes so much because for instance for me when I came out of high school it was kind of like just run really fast and jump dang near breaking your kneecap when you get to the board but when you get to college trying to change the trajectory and how your form is in the air, there's a lot that goes into that. Your muscles just can't forget the motion that you've been doing in the past. It has to be rewritten. And I don't know. I look, he kind of agree with him. I'm not saying that all other events don't have the technical aspect of it, but for long jump, there's just so much that goes into it. And I think it can definitely be argued to be one of the hardest events in track and field. All my former track athletes tap in because that is going to be the question of the week will be posted tomorrow on Instagram. I want to hear y'all debates because I'm look, I'm tired of it. <laughs> so let's just put the debates in one area and go from there. And but also while we're talking about track, I've been seeing this graphic going around talking about how much professional track athletes are paid and just the statistics behind this. And y'all know me, <laughs> y'all girl comes with the facts. So approximately 50% of athletes who rank top 10 in the USA in their event, and we're talking track and field, make less than 15,000 annually from the sport. And that amount may come from sponsorships, grants, prize money, yada, yada, yada. And also to break it down even further, approximately 20% of track and field athletes that are in the top 10 within the USA make more than $50,000 annually. Now, the athletes that are not in that top 10 US ranking other than like maybe some sprinters, the milers, the distance runners, they really don't have a lot of income support. So it's kind of like you have to be within that top 10% of your event to even make a decent living to support yourself while you're doing, while you're being a professional athlete. And this is mind blowing to me because you think about these other leagues and of course we know they're different um, elements to different sports when you're talking about basketball or talking about football you know track typically is a non-revenue sport when it comes to collegiate route so in a professional realm there's just really not tons and tons of money you'll see a lot of times 
professional track and field athletes get endorsement deals. You know, they're working social media. They're putting their face out there, trying to get brand deals, doing X, Y, and Z. And of course, you know, you'll have the, the best of the best making the bread. But the ones that are not in that top 10 is what concerns me the most because just just because they're not in the top 10, they still have to have a full-time job. You know how hard it is to have a full-time job and then train professionally? I mean, I don't know personally, but I could only imagine because to be honest, it's a lot of y'all that work full-time jobs and y'all can't do nothing else. <laughs> Let's just keep it 100. You can't take on another task because you're so tired from your full-time job. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but just think of it for a person who is trying to pursue a professional career and who is trying to make it to those big meets, those diamond league meets and get top 10 in their event um, nationwide. That's not easy. (laughs) It is not easy at all. And especially in the USA, there's so many people. There's so many people chasing the same exact thing you want. And that shouldn't discourage you by any means. It definitely shouldn't discourage you. But what I would like to see is some type of new business model for professional track and field athletes as, you know, this industry begins to grow and really gain that media attention as well. I think that was a big argument back in the day where, you know, tracking meets are not on TV a lot of the times. You don't really see these big meets, the national meets, X, Y, and Z. I mean, now we see those meets, the Texas Relays. Um, we see the national meet actually now. But there's not a lot of money in track and field. And to be honest, if I can be frankly honest with you guys, coming out of high school, I knew I did not want to be a professional track and field athlete. I knew I wanted to become the best athlete that I possibly could become during my collegiate career. And I knew that that was it for me. But I had teammates who this was to propel them to that next level, to the professional realm. And a lot of them made it and a lot of them didn't. So it's, I don't know. I would just love to see a change in the business model when it comes to track and field. It's very unfortunate just to hear people struggling and not being able to completely financial support themselves because of their career choice. And I mean, we do have choices in life, so I just hate that. So I I am looking for change. I mean, we're seeing the conversation being started. So hopefully more and more people get involved there. But let's shift gears. No, hold up. (laughs) Hold up, big baby. I forgot. Pin Relays was this weekend. We got to talk about it. So if you don't know about Pin Relays, (laughs) let me put it in context for you. This is the Coachella of track, okay? And the history behind pin relays, it is the oldest and largest track and field competition hosted annually since April 21st, 1895 at the University of Pennsylvania at Franklin Field. Y'all, 1895? You know how long ago that was? And the meet is still going on? Crazy. And... You know, during my time as an athlete, we were able to attend pin relays and actually compete at pin relays and just such a memorable experience each and every year. I mean, the fans be 
rowdy, y'all. They be yelling. It's horns. It's USA versus Jamaica in every event. It's just a whirlwind of emotions that happens at Franklin Field. It's so many people gathered around for the love of track and field in every event. I mean, from the throws to the jumps to the hurdles to the distance to 4 by 8 the relays, it's lit. Pin relays is always a move. And actually, it normally draws over 100K people. This year, on just Saturday, it was 38,843 people in the building. That is so, that's a lot of people. And y'all, I'm not going to lie, this facility is huge. You can get lost. So I remember one time <laughs> we were supposed to be checking in for a race. We was on the total other side of the stadium. You know how long it took us to get to the other side? We almost missed the race. We almost missed the race. Our coach was livid. We'll, we'll talk about that another time. But yes. This facility is stupid nice. I mean, it is very historic, so you're not really getting that futuristic vibe. But it's very um, historic to the world of track and field. So I did want to highlight some of those performances because this is kind of like mid-range or almost towards the end of the season. So people start popping out, dropping times, doing what they got to do. Okay, this is a great meet to make a regional mark a lot of the times in the past pin relays was always windy and rainy but this year it looked like they had great weather so let's get into it the men's four by one my alma mater u of h came in with the dub 39.45 auburn right behind them 39.53 excuse me arkansas 39.90 now, this is U of H's bread and butter. They love when Coach Burrell and Coach Carl Lewis comes and be a part of the environment because, like I said, this is a track hub. So people are track legends. They are out. This is also, a, I forgot to put this in context for you guys. Not only is this a co collegiate meet, this is a high school meet and a professional meet. So you get the best of all three worlds talents just it's so much whoever thought of this chef's freaking kiss in the men's 100 the winning time was 10 28 and y'all from first to fifth place it was 10 28 to 10 32 that is crazy now two of my cougs they was able to finish top five that's what i like to see my alma mater showing out now for the men's 100 hurdles Devin Allen now if you're not familiar with track if you're familiar with football this is the guy who just signed with the Eagles as a receiver he ran 13 11 in the 100 meter hurdles and he was able to come out with the dub now he hasn't played football since 2016 at Oregon but he had a really good performance at Oregon Pro Day in April he actually ran 4.35 in the 40 so I'm excited just to see how his speed from track translates to football and I would really love to see him do well because this would do numbers in the argument for 
track speed versus football speed. Hands up. I'm my mama business. I'm gonna leave it at that because I don't want to start no drama. Okay, men's 400 hurdles. Covell Jordan, another UH Cook, 49.63. Y'all probably like, dang, you love your alma mater? Yes, I do. I do. I did. I spent four years of my life there, okay? So I'm going to represent when I can. Now, for the men's 4x4, it was a very close race. And if you're ever interested in looking at some of the videos, um, Flow Track on Instagram and Twitter, they always post the videos of a lot of the high caliber meets, and you can always catch it there. Uh, but for the 4x4, UH in Ohio State was battling it out on that last leg. But Ohio State, they were able to hold off U of H 303.91. And I mean, their last leg ran 44.84 in the 400. Like, he wasn't playing, okay? He was not trying to let up, not trying to let U of H win. Ohio State came out with the dub. U of H was able to finish second. Now, on the women's side, I am so glad to see this name come across the result board. Naomi Taylor, 1301. And I believe I saw on her Instagram, she stated that this was a PR. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I'm happy for sis. Because if you see the video, a hurdle ahead. Not even close to the competition. Second place, 1329. Third place, 1332. So she'll take that 1301 dub and sleep good at night. Now for the women, the relays, South Carolina, they came, they conquered, they did exactly what they had to do. Not, they took home wheels, and when I say wheels, so instead of handing out medals and trophies, at pin relays, they literally hand out a circle wheel and watches for when you win. South Carolina, they won the 4x1, they won the 4x4, and they also take home a wheel in the 4x2. And this is the first time ever in pin relays history that a, a women's team has done this well, actually, not the first time in history because South Carolina, they did it in 2005. So history runs deep in their culture, their history of their program, and now engraving another record into um, pin relay history. Remarkable. Remarkable. Now, our favorite, Sydney McLaughlin, she ran 12.75 in the 100-meter hurdles. Oh, my gosh. This is actually a Franklin Field record. Sis was moving. I think this was her season opener, too. That's actually scary. That's scary because if you dropped a 1275 right out the gate, what are you going to run this season? Ooh. Look, it's not even Olympic year and y'all going crazy. And then also in the 600 meter, a thing, Mew. We, you may know her from her national champion efforts, her Olympian efforts, um, Texas A&M. But Sis ran... 122.74 to win the 600 meter and look she just runs with so much poise so it just looks so effortless and I know it's not easy by any means so yeah that is the highlighted performances of pin relays as we shift gears just a bit to talk about NBA playoffs 
Uh, so if I can be honest, I do not know where we left off with talking about the NBA playoffs. But I'm willing to talk about round one with you guys <laughs> and then conference semis. So start on the west side for round one. Phoenix came on top of the Pelicans. And look, we knew this. But what really shocked me is how the Pelicans were trying to put up a fight. I didn't even know they had that in them. I didn't know they had two games over the Suns. I, I really, I didn't know that they had this within them. And it's interesting to me to continuously see Zion on the side. Now I think I saw something where he was stating he's healthy and he's ready to play. And I'm like, you're like, where were you? What, what is actually going on with this situation? Why is he not playing? Is it because he's, is it, is that, was that real of him being overweight? Is that why he's not playing? I really could not tell y'all. I actually have no idea why he has not been playing. I don't think I've seen full Zion play since he's been in college. Like, I'm, I'm really trying to think. I don't think I have. So, anyways, yeah, since came out on top of that. Dallas over Utah, 4-2. Warriors over Denver, 4-1. Memphis and Minnesota, 4-2. That was a fun series to watch. John Morant, he's, he's so fun to watch play. I think he just has this young, ambitious attitude that he's kind of not afraid to go after it and really just be hooping. Boy, was hooping yesterday. We're going to get to that, but he was hooping. Now, on the East, for round one, Miami versus Atlanta, that was 4-1. Okay, yeah, we knew, we knew. Um, Philly versus Toronto, 4-2, okay. Milwaukee versus the Bulls. I don't even know how the Bulls got in this conversation, 4-1, okay. Now, this Boston versus the Nets, 4-0? You mean to tell me the Celtics, Tatum, they swept. Healthy KD and healthy Kyrie? Yeah, go ahead and wrap it up. Something has to happen. Because there's no way I can tell my child that. Yeah, there was a time where KD and Kyrie were on the same team and they got swept. Huh? They didn't win a game? Y'all couldn't win a game? A game? Mm. And that's a good look for the Celtics. And I have, I really have Celtics going pretty far in this playoff run. We'll talk about that next. But come on. I know I can't be the only one that's just appalled. This is just absurd. But look, let's talk about conference semis. Now, we have Phoenix versus Dallas. That first game is today. If you're just not listening to this, um, probably yesterday. Um, but in this matchup, <laughs> Y'all know I'm picking the maps. I got to go with the home team in this regard. Um, definitely a Luka fan. And I just, I can't root against the Mavs. I love the Suns. I love what they can afford to do with the healthy D book. They can definitely do a lot. But this matchup is going to be very, very interesting. And I can't wait to finish recording this so I can watch the game. And that's going to, but I'm going to pick Dallas out of that matchup now golden state versus memphis now golden state i have them winning this matchup the it is one to zero so it's in their favor currently and in game one 
Draymond, he got ejected because he grabbed dude's jersey and, like, kind of pulled him down. And, okay, I can see definitely why they called the flagrant because it was a very dangerous play. And, luckily, nothing bad or traumatic happened in that circumstances. But my issue is the refs going to have to be a little bit more consistent in their calling. Like, are you going to allow them to play rough or are you going to allow them to stick very technical to the rule book? Because, you know, sometimes you have very loose refs and then sometimes you have very I'm blowing the whistle every chance that I get refs. So pick a side, please, please. But the young bulls was out there hoping. John Moran was – this was a crazy game because Draymond got – ejected during first half I believe and second half it was just crazy and within the last few seconds ago to go in the matchup Clay he misses his two free throws two mind y'all he ain't did nothing all game this tight ass headband he got on his head he ain't did nothing all game and Memphis they sticking with him they're in it they're in it to win it but they fell short by one point so Golden State was able to take take game one and i'm rooting for um the warriors in this situation just because of they have a lot of um championship dna i guess that's what i'm looking for um on their team and they have options they have a lot of options just like clay wasn't on you had jordan Poole going crazy so it's it's just the warriors they are able to adjust on the fly which i really do love about that team is that no matter what, if they're missing a player, they, they adjust. And it's very quick. They don't spend too much time having the balls in their hands. They're moving the ball. There's a lot of ball movement around the arc. The Warriors do an outstanding job, and that's why I'm going to pick them over over Memphis. I love Java Moran. I love the attitude. I love the grit. Hey, prove me wrong. If you if you take down the Warriors at this state when they got all their guns, yeah. You the yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like, I like. But this is going to be a great matchup. I think it may end up going to seven, but we definitely will see. Miami versus 76ers. Look, James Harden, he's just not what he used to be. He's not as young as a player as he used to be, I feel. And we're just not really getting that. Joe Embiid is out. He probably won't be back until game three or four. So I'm definitely rolling with the heat in this matchup. I mean, it's only right. The Heat, yeah, definitely going for the Heat in this matchup. And then Milwaukee versus the Celtics. Now, hear me out. I got the Celtics. I wanted to pick the Bucks, but I got I got the Celtics. Now, I got the Celtics because, one, what they just did to the Nets, that was remarkable. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't abide that. And also, I just feel as if... Boston has a great offense to be able to compete with the Bucks. Now, we seen game one because the Bucks do did win game one. It was a blowout. Now, if Boston come out game two the same way they did in game one, we can write it over with. It may be a it may be a sweep. But I'm picking Boston. I'm gonna be bold. I'm gonna pick Boston. I got much respect for the Bucks. Giannis, I, I got much respect for them. They definitely have a upper hand when it comes to size on the Celtics, but the Celtics are shooters. <laughs> they're going to shoot and they're going to make it. And that's what makes them competitive in this aspect. So those are my picks. Mavs, Golden State, 
Heat in Boston, who y'all got? There's already a graphic up on the front pages for you guys to tap in, share your predictions. We're talking how many games. We're talking about who's going to advance to conference finals and all of that jumbo you will find there. So just a few quick hits before we end this episode. I got to talk about the Serena Williams building. Y'all, when I say this lady is the GOAT, the freaking GOAT. She has a 1 million square foot facility. 1 million square foot, y'all. Y'all know how big that is? Huge. In Oregon, which actually makes her building the largest at Nike World headquarters. It includes a tennis court, four different cafes, and even a theater named after her daughter. That's dope. Imagine walking in a building and that's yours. Your face plastered around. This is your building, the Serena Williams building. Like, hey, you want to go to the Serena Williams building to work? There's labs there. There's so much there. It's remarkable. I, I just have no words. When I seen this, I was like, wow. Wow. That that's next level. That is legendary. Also, two things I wanted to mention. DeAndre Hopkins, he is out for six games suspended and he is suspended for violating the league's PD use. Um, and actually I was looking at the contract. Y'all know me numbers, girl. He will forfeit 4.05 million in 2022 compensation because of this six game suspension he will face in the next season. So that is wild. And then also honey badger to the saints. What is going on? Who won the drive? We didn't even talk about that today, but I got to stop it here because uh, it's just a lot going on. I think we're going to have a lot more to continue reveal itself as the week progresses But look, that's all I got for y'all today on episode 48. Make sure y'all tap in with me on the front pages. I would love to hear from you guys where you're from. How do you listen? I just want a little bit of feedback. Let me know. And until next week, your girl is out. Peace.